Hello, and welcome to yet again another episode of Political Shadings, your window into politics and the green economy. My name is John Lawyer. And I'm Andrew Goldberg. And we will be discussing essentially the intersection again of business, policy, politics, green building, energy efficiency, and common sense. Well, let's figure Well, maybe, crossed. maybe. Some kind of sense. <laughs> Not sure it's common Some or sense of something. It's a sense, yes. A Uncommon sense, sense of something. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, so we just heard the intro music from our fabulous friend of the show, JoshraEspinoza.com. Great music. Uh, he, I, we get more compliments about the music than we do about the podcast. We can't thank him enough for his hard work. And sponsored by Somfy North America. The newest member of our podcast team, Jackie Hankard, we'd like to toss it to her and so she can tell us what's going on at Somfy. Jackie, take it away. For more than 50 years, Somfy has been driving durable, positive motion as a pioneer in window and door automation. Developed with comfort, ease of use, security, and sustainability in mind, our seamless and connected solutions are designed to help people make the move to living spaces impactful for humans and with a reduced impact on nature. Thanks, Jackie. Always appreciated. We also want to acknowledge the fact that we are sitting in the beautiful, beautiful, big wig media studios as part of the Willard Office Complex here in our nation's capital. In the heart of the nation's capital. A part of the evergreen podcast network. Um, and there is some bright news on the horizon. Political Shadings is actually the fastest growing podcast in that network. Did you know this? I, I did not know that. Actually, I did know that because we talked about it earlier. Yeah, but, we've been uh, talking about it all morning. Pretty much, yeah. We are... The vanguard, the cutting edge, the knife's edge. The bleeding, the bleeding edge, edge of, podcasts of podcasting. Within the network right, that is owned yeah. by Evergreen and, and, and Big Week. So um, we're very excited about that, and we can't thank you enough for your listenership and your support. So that being said, I think that's all the business we had to discuss today. Pretty much, I think so. All right. I do want to point out, I do have to point out, oh. in the last... Last month's podcast, I did make a prediction. Yes. I predicted that Usher would end his Super Bowl halftime show <laughs> with, yeah, with Ludacris and Little John. And guess what? He and did. guess what? He you, did. You, you skipped the part where he did a portion of Starlight Express, but... Okay, uh, I didn't mention the roller skates, okay? <laughs> to be fair. Okay, to be fair, I missed that part. Yeah, but, uh, yeah and I think so. our Super Bowl predictions were way off. I, what Was it? I don't remember. I think I, we said, like... Uh, um, Baltimore and I think I picked the Lakers. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I just you picked and LeBron the, in three. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't don't listen to us for any advice on who's going to win anything. Yes. Is the if moral you, of that? If story. you're doing any parlays or anything, don't come to us because you will be bankrupted pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one other little bit of housekeeping today. Uh, our guest on the podcast will be the uh, marketing and sustainability team from Somfy North America. They're going to come in and talk to us about what Somfy's been up to in, in the automated shading and uh, internet of things world. So we'll be uh, having them in the studio on here in a little bit. But in the meantime, let's talk about uh, what, what, what's, what, why, what, what, <laughs> what, what, what's, what's going on in our nation's capital this, this, Period. This year. period of time. Well, um, yeah. So, you know, there's good news and there's bad news. Uh, the bad news, oh, is, the bad news is we're about six or seven days away from a, a possible another government shutdown. Yet again. Yet again. Another. Another possible. Still possible. Fiscal cliff. End of the world. Economic disaster. Exactly. Of, of at least a Ep dozen federal agencies not being able to, to function. Hop or on Zoom. 
Well, yes, exactly. Oh, the okay. zoom zooming will uh, will zooming decrease will a lot, <sighs> but also, but also projects, various housing vouchers, and oh, you mean like real things, real things, yeah, real oh, work. How about actually, the military industrial complex? Uh, it won't be as complex. Well, it'll be complex, but it won't get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, who doesn't like that? Not yeah. paying our nation's military. And so you know, those TSA agents, the very fine people at the oh, airport, that protect yeah. us from things like terrorism on a plane. Exactly. So they won't get paid. Oh, uh, good. So they're right. working for free. Exactly. They're they're donating their time as volunteers, oh, essentially. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. So that, that is that's kind of where things are. So uh, it's not just a cliff; it's a it's an abyss. It it could be. You could say say it that way. Exactly. Great. Uh, um, yeah. And so basically, you know, where we're at, and, and really, I feel like I say the same thing every every month. I, I think I do, we're on a thirty day cycle. At pretty this point. much. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a lunar cycle. Um, yeah, uh, funding runs out for a tides, bunch of, the, the, the tides, the government the, shutdown. Yeah, the solar calendar. You know, it's yeah, all it's absolutely. all related. It's just um, right. yeah. So there is a, uh, a, a funding runs out at the end of, of this month, February, for about five or six different agencies, and oh, then good. a week later for the rest of the government, pretty much. So, so let me guess, they're gonna take this like probably in the least convenient manner, they're not going to do all of them all at once. No, no. They've created this um, laddered situation. We call it a ladder situation. Oh, good. A ladder to where? I'm not quite sure, but more of a shoot, I think, than a yeah, ladder, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I will say this. It's a good thing this is a leap year because they probably need the extra day. So really, we have a choice that's going on. The normal process would be Congress would pass these called appropriations bills right. to fund the government, that's doesn't sign them. what they're we, legally obligated to do. We, we move on with our lives. Um, they can't seem to do that because um, although there is a broad agreement among the funding levels, how much money to spend, House Republicans uh, want to add what are called policy writers to these bills. Um, these are provisions on all kinds of issues like abortion and guns and, and, and whatnot that say that, well, agencies get their money, but they can't do this or they can't do that or they can't spend money here or there. Uh -huh. They want to, for example, they want to reduce uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security's uh, annual salary down to $1. Because um, that's part of the appropriations process it could be I guess it's money right so, so while we're at it can we re can we add some names to that list that we uh, would like to see not get any salary uh, anybody in particular or is you I don't know <laughs> uh, you know there's got to be a couple people in maybe there, there's right? probably a long I mean, list we seem right. to be picking on secretary Mayorkas so you know well you know they've already in, you know, they did impeach him it took him a couple of tries they did impeach him for <laughs> reasons that are not entirely impeachable but but anyway oh good. I digress uh, yes. yeah so basically uh, they can't get these bills passed, so the normal course of action is to pass a continuing resolution, kind of a short tap, the dreaded CR. short term. Let's kick the can down the road, but even that's tricky because these very same House Republicans, this Freedom Caucus, that don't want to pass these appropriations bills without these riders on them, also don't want there to be continuing resolution. Let me, let me, help me with math. Okay. I, I will try. All I didn't right. say there'd be math in this, uh, but so I'm a little <laughs> bit nervous. All right, so. What is the margin between the majority and the minority at this point? So in the House right now, it is really about two or three votes. In other words, if on a vote, Republicans have the majority, if they lose two or three of their members on a vote, they lose the vote. Right. So it's a very small number. So let's, let's hypothetically say the Democrats want to vote to keep the government running. Okay. All right. As a block, which they seem to typically vote. Which in. they have, generally. Right. Right, right, right. And there's 200 and some odd 
Democrats ready 214, to... 214, give or take. Right, right, right. And only 216... 218 or something. Something like Republicans. Yeah. So you're talking about 30 members of that 218 Republican majority, right? That leaves 180 or so Republicans who ostensibly should be charged with doing their jobs and voting to keep the government open. Right. Here's the issue. Right. So the decision on what comes to the floor of the House rests with the Speaker, Speaker Mike Johnson. Of course. Um, And to your point, yeah, if they put, he put a bill on the floor to keep government open, it would pass with a pretty huge margin. Pretty huge margin. In fact, if he put a bill on the floor to... A bipartisan yes, margin. Yes, exactly. He put, if he put a bill on the floor, by the way, to get funding for Ukraine and Israel and border security... It would and pass, Taiwan. And Taiwan. It would pass with a big margin. The problem is that those 30 or so Republicans that you mentioned... Yeah. They don't want that. And they have but the... But they're a minority of a tiny majority. So what's the... Because they can then go to the House floor and issue what's called a motion to vacate. The Speaker? The Speaker. Again. Again, right. Now, you may recall, it's been only a few months, back in October, (laughs) (laughs) September, October, they did that to to Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy is now a private private citizen. Yes. In California. Retired from Congress. He's now growing avocados or whatever one does in the in the in the valley of California, I, I get and, and, near and so, Sacramento. And so, Speaker Johnson, perhaps understandably, maybe not, doesn't want that to happen uh, to him. Here's the thing: right now, when you talk to folks on the Hill, if you talk to Democrats on the Hill, right, they, they say they, they don't know what what Speaker Johnson is going to do. Will he put a CR on the floor? Will a he clean do that? CR. CR or something? Yeah, right. will he do it? They don't know if he will. Here's the thing: Republican offices. If you ask them, they don't know what Speaker Johnson is going to do. So he's not I even suspect, communicating within his own caucus. I suspect if you ask Speaker Johnson what he'll do, he might not know what he's going to do. Oh, great. Great. Yeah, that's the good news, I think. No, that's not. Yeah, look, here's the thing. You know, Mike Johnson, uh, whatever you think of him, he has never been in leadership before. Correct. So he came in in October. He was the fourth, third or fourth choice. I, I don't remember at this point. It was hard to keep track because they flew by pretty quickly. They there did. was there was Jim G Y M Jordan. Well, there, there was, was well, em, well, uh, Congressman Emmer. Tom Emmer for about half an hour. Half an hour. There uh, was Scalise. Steve Scalise right. who came and went within less than twenty four hours. Right. I think Elmo at one point might have been. Uh, uh, you, you and I were I think nominated. At one point we were yeah, up there. Yeah. Exactly. So right. So, so so Johnson came in and basically it was a point in which there was exhaustion. Like let's just put him in. The thing is, and this is not necessarily a knock on him, he has no experience. He's never been in his leadership position. And now here he is negotiating with this very restive caucus of members who can't seem to agree on much of anything. Right. And, and, and it's, it's a very perilous situation for him. Now, what's interesting is you're hearing a lot of uh, more seasoned Republicans and people say, well, you know what? He needs to do what's right. He needs to be decisive, put a bill on the floor if, if, if the, 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 the Freedom Caucus members want to get rid of him. Well, well, let him try. Right. You know, but but but, but what he's if you do. Right. But he's not at this point doesn't seem to be able to chart a clear course or say I'm going to do this even if it's not popular with my party, but I'm going to do what's right. He doesn't seem to be able to do that. Now maybe at some point he will he will he will do that. But right now time is is running out. The clock is ticking towards this yet another government shutdown. And so we are, once again, in a situation where 
we really don't know what Congress is going to do. Good God. Um, and it's more than just the appropriations. It is, I mentioned before, funding for Ukraine. Critical. Uh, for, for Israel, for Taiwan. Foreign policy and defense issues. Border issues, border security, a top issue for folks. Which the Republicans said they desperately wanted a border security bill. Wanted it. Democrats said, okay, we'll give you pretty much what we want. Great. You bet. And, and then Here they it said, is. Oh, nope, never mind. What? Because Wh- why? Uh, two words, Donald Trump. Uh, uh, he, is he in Congress? Uh, I don't think he is. I'll check. I'll check Wikipedia. <laughs> no, but he um, obviously he is the front runner for the Republican nomination. He said basically doesn't want Congress to pass a, uh, a border security bill. And and the reason everybody agrees upon is not for any policy reason. It's because he doesn't want to ha- have Joe Biden get a victory. He doesn't want to take the issue away. As opposed to the American. Sec- People and the sovereign security of the United States of America. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. And and unfortunately, a lot of Republicans in Congress who are very afraid of Trump's people and their base, both politically and, frankly, in some cases, even physically, right? they, they basically said, okay, we're not going to do the border security bill. Now, the Senate did pass, with a lot of Republican support, a bill for the foreign aid Hugely for bipartisan. Yeah, and a very, very strong vote. But then Speaker Johnson, the House says, nope, we're not going to take it up because it doesn't involve border security. And yet, their first demand was border security, but he blocked the border security plan that Democrats and Republicans had negotiated in the Senate. So literally both sides of his mouth. Right. Right. Uh, and this is this is the, the real challenge. And look, if he had a bigger majority, if he had more experience, we'd be in a different place right now. But, um, you know, this is not making, uh, you know, the government look, look terribly uh, functional, functional at the moment. Right. So the Democrats picked up a seat recently. They did. So in New York, my beloved home uh, region of Long Island. Da, 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 da. Um, there was a member of Congress by the name of George Santos, a oh, very distinguished gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> Captain of his volleyball team, former uh, former president Miss of America. whatever I don't know. Right. Yeah, uh, he was yeah. expelled uh, by, uh, by 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 the House at a pretty bipartisan vote back in the fall uh, for all of his various fraud and deceit, everything else. Um, and a lot of Republicans said they didn't they didn't want to expel him because they were afraid that Democrats would pick up the seat in a special election. Well, guess what guess happened? Guess what happened? Tom Swazi, who had been a former member of Congress, a county executive, everything else. Yeah, quite popular won, in that district, actually. Won a, a, a pretty strong, about an eight-point victory in a special election, so he takes— In a pretty conservative district. Yeah, I mean, a district that Santos had had won two years or a year or so right, earlier. Right, pretty handily. And so you had a situation now where a lot of Republicans are, are angry— um, at their own party for, for getting rid of him. Now, you could argue that getting rid of somebody who was really not qualified to be there is probably a good idea, but what that means now is that majority is is that much more narrow. Razor thin. Yeah. So who's the adult in the room here? Who can say to, for instance, Mike Johnson, okay, is enough Enough is enough. We, we can't... This is hurting us right. in terms of our election year possibilities. That's, uh, well, that's a really good question, and there's no good answer. I mean, there was a story in the, in the paper over the weekend. Well, a couple of things happened. So Patrick McHenry, you may recall him. He's a member of Congress. He was the speaker Absolutely. pro tem when uh, Kevin McCarthy was booted. And he's, he's kind the of bow tie, a, the... the bow tie, kind of a gray beard. He, he's, he's younger than us, keep in mind. He's like 48. Yeah. But he's gone prematurely gray. He, he's sort <laughs> I of wonder a, why. He's emerged as kind of a pretty <laughs> rational, you know, statesman-like kind of person. And, yeah. and he got on a podcast last week and basically criticize in, in a pretty open way, Mike Johnson said he needs to step up, he needs to, to 
put bills on the floor. Even is if he also in. retiring from Congress? Well, yes, of course. Oh, yes, obviously. Oh. And then Paul Ryan, the former uh, speaker, former speaker of the House, another, Paul Ryan. I guess another gray beard, even though he's also he's like twenty seven. I don't know yeah, how old he is. He, he looks uh, it. You know, kind of made the same case. The, the issue is this: that there is the, the the there is that I'll call it for lack of a better word the Nikki Haley wing of the party, right? Um, this, this small percentage who wants well, party to be responsible. Push for conservative goals, but also recognize that when you control just you the have House, a job to do, and you don't control the Senate, you don't control the White House, you're not going to get everything you want. But that those voices are not being listened to, and and it's it's not just in the House, in the Senate. You know, Mitch McConnell, um, who has led Republicans in the Senate for 20 years or so, um, and is somebody who, depending on the issue, you could say he's a partisan fighter, but at other times. He's worked in a, a bipartisan way. He helped support Biden's infrastructure bill. He's been very aggressive in pushing for the aid to Ukraine. Yep. But his influence is waning a lot, partially because of age. He had some health issues uh, yeah. last year. Um, but really, this 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 populist, know nothingist kind of Trump wing of the party is 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 ascendant right now. And you see that in the primaries where he's won pretty huge victories despite, or maybe because of his 91 indictments and the well, the $400 million he owes and to counting. State and counting uh, yeah. 100000 every day of interest. Good uh, Lord. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it, there is this real you know, battle going on within the Republican Party. And let's be clear, I'm not trying to suggest that the Democrats are all united because, well, they're Democrats and they never are. <laughs> <laughs> and there's lots of, um, you know, lots of consternation about, you know, the president's age and about the popularity of the vice president and what's happening in Israel and Gaza is, is causing some, some uh, a fair amount of consternation. Uh, so, you know, there certainly is, is that, there, there's some of that kind of nervousness, tense there, but I think what you see in the Republican Party right now, most people would say, is is really unprecedented. Uh, that the party has really been taken over by a populist kind of demagogue who uh, really does not care about the welfare of the country, but about getting reelected, getting revenge on his enemies, um, perceived or otherwise. Perceived, well, exactly, exactly. Wow. So that's the good news part. I guess I mentioned there's oh, good. good news and bad news. I oh, guess. what's what's the bad news? Oh, <laughs> well, the good news is spring training has started, so I guess there's that. Oh, oh, pitchers and catchers. Yeah. How exciting. So there's that, I, I, I guess. I guess? Yeah. All right. Well, that's something. Yeah, there you go. We can hold on to that for yeah. a while. But the other good news, I will say this, and this is, watch, I'm going to make a really great segue right now. The good news is, you know, there are a lot of folks out there who are doing some really good work addressing our issues. It may not be happening... <laughs> In Washington right now, but out in other places, you have uh, a lot of folks who are doing some really great work on advances in technology, on sustainability. Yeah, uh, the, the business community marches on, right? Exactly, right. Uh, and so to that end, um, after the break, we're going to bring in uh, David Parrott and Andy Rittenhouse from our corporate sponsor, Somfy. And we will be talking to them about their efforts in sustainability and energy efficiency. Uh, can't wait to get them in here. Yeah, should be great. All right. So after the break, we'll uh, reconvene. Thank you. Back from the break. Yes, welcome back. It's been a while. Thank well, you. About two minutes. <laughs> yeah, or less. exactly. Or less. <laughs> or less. Exactly. Well, we're really excited to be uh, in studio today with two of our colleagues from Somfy North America, David Parrott and Andy Rittenhouse. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for taking the time. Doing well, guys. Great. Glad to be here. 
Great. Excellent. And uh, David, why don't you tell us uh, your role at Somfy? Uh, so my name, again, is David Parrott. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for Somfy North America. Outstanding. And, and Andy, uh, tell us your role. Yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Andy Rittenhouse. I am a specifications manager with Somfy North America. Um, spent a lot of my time on, with the with the well and lead as a well AP and a lead AP. Um, so pretty focused on that aspect of it. Outstanding. And we know that it's a, a very uh, sustainability focused and energy efficient company. We're going to jump right into some questions, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. I'll go ahead. Well, we know that Somfi, of course, is the, the sponsor of uh, political shadings, which we're delighted about. But but tell us, who is Somfi or what is Somfi and what do you actually, what do you guys do? <laughs> Andrew, I'll take that if I could. So yeah. um, Somfi is the, the world's largest manufacturer of motors for interior window coverings and exterior solar protection. Um, we are a French-based company. Um, we've been around uh, more than 50 years and we're very renowned for expertise in motorized systems. Um, and uh, in the North American market, that's mostly focused on window coverings such as blinds, shades, and, and draperies. Um, we have a presence in 58 countries around the world and uh, to date have produced over 200 million uh, wow. motors wow, for, for these applications. So, wow. So basically you're talking about shades, anything that goes up and down, in and out, left and right. You guys are making the motors that actually make that run. Is that, that, exactly. that right? Yeah. That's and that's, yeah, on, exactly. that's on both sides of the window, right? It is. It is. And, um, you know, culturally in the uh, North American market, we generally find that the products are normally installed on the interior. Um, but um, but outside of North America and in many of our applications, we do a lot of exterior as well. Outstanding. Very cool. So uh, talk to us about the difference, you know, automated versus manual versus motorized and, and what's the preferred, what's superior method here? So, yeah, the, the you know, it, it can be sometimes the language can be confusing. Yeah. But it's yeah. remember that, that manual, right, is going to require human action uh, through like a chain or a crank, a rod, you have to manually move those those shades or, or open down. Got it. Uh, in, in motorized, we're, they're going to move with like a push of a button uh, from a wall keypad or a remote. Oh. And the important distinction then goes to the automated because an automated shade system is one that will be driven or controlled through an intelligent means or an intelligent system, such as the building management system or sun sensors or timed events. And, and an automated system does not require human action to perform. And that's where it's my understanding the real energy savings come in. It comes in is once it's fully automated. A absolutely, because if it's left to human interaction, uh, generally, you know, the shades are going to be left up all day or down all day. Nobody right. really moves them to the appropriate levels to get that efficiency, where if it's automated, um, they're going to move as programmed. And, and that's, you know, when you base that on, on modeling or some sensors, that's when you're going to get your maximum efficiency. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, energy and saving energy and things like that. I mean, how much energy are we talking about? Uh, you know, how much can you can you save potentially from having these automated shading systems in your building? Well, that that's that's a, a whole different conversation in itself because it varies, right? I mean, every type of fabric with every type of openness um, in every different position throughout the day is going to reflect the amount of energy savings. 
so when you talk about interior applications, it's it, and, and then you have to determine whether you have single pane glass or highly insulated glass, right? Right. The single pane glass, right? All the solar heat gain comes right through. So the shades will be more effective than dealing with right. solar heat gain. And that's what we use shades for when we have single pane. But if we have high, high insulated glass or high performance glass, then the whole strategy around shades changes because now we're using shades to, to more um, deal with glare because in that environment, we want sunlight to come in. So the energy savings when you have shades up is to use sunlight as free energy to light your space. So it's almost almost, counter, almost counterintuitive to the function of a shade. You actually want to let the sunlight in to improve the comfortability. Correct. If you have the right type of glass. And of course, new construction is by code is going to have that the appropriate type of glass for that. So it, it can be very different based on the type of glass. Yeah, I mean, I've seen studies recently. I know there was a Baltimore gas and electric study done recently with about 15 row houses in Baltimore that tricked out, you know, those 15 row houses with automated shading and then measured utility costs from one year to the next based upon the installation of those products. And they were looking at savings anywhere between 15 and 20 percent uh, off the utility bill. That's amazing. And it can, especially, uh, you know, like in the South, right? Um, if you do exterior screen, yeah. right, yeah. And, and you have single pane, you are literally blocking that that solar heat gain from, from entering the home. And so it's dramatic, uh, your savings, um, versus, you know, again, if you're doing interior. Right. And yeah. so it's hard to put, and I just say that because it's hard to put an actual number on that. Because again, you know, interior, exterior, what type of fabric? Um, I will say that exterior traditionally has been easier to measure simply because there's not as many options on the exterior fabric. So your your huh. manufacturers are are going to be able to run those tests through various third-party labs um, using that, you know, one specific type of material to get various ratings. So and and then that you can get your your, you know measure your your savings so what's the what's the exterior market like in north america you don't see it a lot am i am i correct you you don't and i i think it's just i think there's a combination of, of electric is a lot cheaper here than in europe right we yeah. build a lot more here than in europe europe you just they kind of just stay where you know they don't have as much new construction so um and we don't design and so when you try and do a exterior product here in the United States, and, and it hasn't been designed originally for that, it looks very aftermarket. Uh, so that's... Right. That's a great point. And, and just to put a quick point on this, and forgive my ignorance here, you know, so this is, is this for office buildings uh, only? Is it residential? I mean, I mean, you can basically use this, I, I'm imagining, on any, on any building, building type. Right? You can. It, it, yeah. it, it can be. Um, Exterior, um, again, you know, you try and put exterior on a, on an office building here in the United States. We just don't design our buildings for that, right? And so it's just not practical. Uh, and but yes, even in residential, we we see some, but not a lot. We would we would love for them to do more of that. Um, I mean, I think as Andy's sort of summarized the, you know, the the ultimate towards the efficiency is actually to block the sun from hitting the glazing, right? 
uh, once it hits the glazing, even if you've got the best interior shades, you are going to get some level of gain into the building. So exterior is the better way to go, um, but um, but that's just not culturally what uh, what we've been doing in the U.S. and Canada for these many years in uh, in commercial office or in uh, or in residential. Fascinating. So let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about you know I know sustainability is a huge focus of the company. And I know you guys have uh, our Act for Green program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So that's our initiative. It's our voluntary initiative that um, aims to reduce the environmental impact of our products throughout their entire life cycle from the extraction of the raw materials, manufacturing, shipping, usage, and even um Recycle and destruction. So oh, cool. um, it's it's a very aggressive um, initiative that that Sanfi has. Um, what's the what's the the end game? What's when is it like a twenty thirty thing? Like what when, when does it uh, when do we expect it to be fully integrated in the company? So we have a goal of one hundred percent eco design products uh, by twenty thirty, awesome. and uh, you see we just um, you know just. Uh, uploaded uh, about 70 of our motors into the Works for Well uh, program. And all of those meet various um, uh, environmental product declarations uh, requirements. Uh, so we're very aggressive with it. And uh, every day we see more and more of our products being certified under that Act for Green with the Type 3 environmental product declarations. Outstanding. So, you know, you've got the EPD thing going and mm -hmm. environmental product declarations and, and how that relates. How does Act for Green sort of tie into the, the rating systems that the design community uses like well, GBI, LEED, et cetera? I, I know we're certified in a number of them. Yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting the way it ties in. Uh, as an example, with with Works for Well, uh, there are four different categories um, or, or uh, features. Um, dealing with solar shading and then three materials and resources. So the, the environmental product declarations and our act for green, uh, the way we, we manufacture and, and um, manage our, our products, there's three materials and resource categories that we meet in well, which then in turn also will uh, comply with lead uh, because oh. well always wants more. So if you can check that box in well, you can check it in lead. And so our act for green uh, has brought us into that fold. And it's, it's interesting because when we really started down with w down the road of looking at lead and well and how we can match up to some of those um, requirements, we found the Act for Green. So Safi already had its Act for Green and was very proactive in its Act for Green initiative well before we even started thinking about how do we come into the fold of lead and well. So Safi was already there. And it made it very easy for us to then say, oh, well, we're going through um, a lot of, we spend a lot of time and resources to get our products to meet these environmental um, requirements uh, that just happen to, to match up with lead and well. Oh, well, that worked out. That's great. So, you know, a question, I guess, is so if I'm, you know, a typical building owner, you know, I own an office building, let's say, or I'm just a homeowner or whatever, and, you know, I'm looking for, obviously, you know, equipment to, you know, shade my building, things like that. I mean, why, why, why would I as a consumer care about this kind of act for green? Like what, what, not to be crass, but like, what is it, what's in it for kind of the consumer? Go ahead, David. 
So um, I think really with the the initiative we have, it's the, the the reality is that consumers now don't have to choose between comfort and commitment to the environment. Oh, um, so choosing these products means that they're getting that added comfort for their home or build business, um, and uh, and getting more energy efficiency and more sustainability in the solution. Um, so they are really able to do their share for the environment uh, without changing their habits as uh, as they are. Uh, approaching their uh, their built environment. That's, that's great. That's great. And I understand also that these motors, of course, the motors themselves need electricity. They need energy to work. But you can also, with at least some of them, hook them up to kind of a solar panel or something, so that you know you're using renewable energy to actually power the motor. Is that the case? Definitely. We yeah. have. Um, it's it's a. I would say it's a relatively small part of the overall. Um, uh, installation base, but we do have a number of different solar panels uh, for many of our products to take them somewhat off grid right, uh, right. so that they can they can optimize the products and, and be sure that they're they're consuming less and less from from the grid as, as time goes on. So you can you can power them through solar, you can power them electrically hardwired. you can also power them with uh, low power over Ethernet. is that correct? Yes, correct. We've got um, PoE motors coming out now, so lots of we have a lot of AC and DC motors. And I think you know the Actor Green initiative is an important one, um, and um, it really isn't just about giving you know low voltage or or solar panels, but it's about the fact that even even our AC and, and DC products are consuming less and less power. Um, so realistically, we you said it earlier, everything that we make does have to consume power at some point. So it's not just about finding new and innovative ways to gather that power, but also how to make the products that we sell as efficient as possible. Um, so that's, you know, making sure that we're doing very low consumption when they're in sleep mode and not uh, not consuming a lot of power in, during that point uh, point in time. Right making sure our packaging is free of uh, polystyrene and PVC. So we're using as much oh, recycled and re recycled uh, fibers as possible. Um, and then things, you know, in the end, there are there is a, a life cycle to every product. And we want to be sure that our, our products, uh, you know, when the time comes for repairs, uh, re it's repairable and you can replace batteries or anything else that might be existing within that motor um, and uh, as easy to recycle as possible uh, for, for the products. That's great. I mean, it's interesting because oftentimes you hear, uh, you know, this sort of false, false choice between saying, well, a company can be environmentally conscious and green, or they can make profits, but you can't do either. And it sounds like what Sumphi is trying to do and is doing and trying to prove is that you can do both at the same time. Um, you know, is that kind of part of the, the, the company's kind of core mission, essentially, to, to say, yeah, we're going to make money, but we're also, uh, you know, going to do good? I, I would say it is. We are, um, uh, you know, we are a family-owned and controlled um, organization, and um, the the controlling family does have a lot of passion uh, about energy efficiency and sustainability. Uh, you know, our products, for the history of the company, our products have been about managing energy and managing uh, comfort. So, it's really in our DNA. It has been from the beginning and uh, continues to be. I will say it is sometimes when you think about commercial, um, John and I have spoken about this a couple of times, but when you think about the commercial environment, there is obviously a little bit of tension between making a perfectly energy efficient building right. versus making a productive workforce right. uh, across right. that building. So so there is a give and take. And, and as you would expect, you know, uh, we try to make products that 
will make the building envelope as uh, perfect as possible from an energy standpoint. But in the end, you know, people are buying the products, especially in the North American region. They're buying them largely because it is making their employees more productive. Right. So yes, they're saving energy. Yes, we're saving power. Yes, we're consuming as little as possible to do that. But in the end, they do want to bring in as much natural light as possible for their employees uh, so they can have happy employees, productive employees, and be getting the most out of the uh, the assets that are costing them most, which is uh, which is their human resources. Oh, sure. So it's a interesting yeah, tug great. of war that uh, we, we get through, and Andy knows it better than anyone. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, the other aspect of this is understanding the developers know to to make their spaces more marketable uh to bring people back in from remote and working remote they they want to go into those those spaces that are healthy and sustainable they want a a healthy workplace to go back to if they're going to come back from their home office to an actual office so that's been an important aspect of the the um making sure that we have um environmentally friendly and healthy products out there. Well, that, that's great. Yeah, because right, you could make the most, you know, energy efficient, zero carbon, zero energy building the world you want. But if it's not a place that people want to work in or live in or uh, be productive in, you know, you're not going to be able to, to sell that at the end of the day. So being able to Absolutely. find a way to do both at the same time is really, you know, it's a really kind of smart way to go. Well, and then in the interest of a little self-promotion, you mentioned the commercial real estate and commercial real estate developers. Uh, next month's guest will be the CEO of the National Association of Industrial and Office Properties, our good friend Mark Salvatelli from here in Washington, D.C. I'm sure he'll have a lot, he'll have a lot to say about that. Um, it, I, I know you guys just rolled out a whole new software protocol, right? Uh, it, I believe it's called Zigbee, first of all. Uh, oh, Zigbee, that's the guy from the cartoon, right? The little guy? Yes, little exactly. Guy. The little bald guy yeah. with the dog. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. no. First of all, what is it? How does Sompi plan to use it? I know, David, you just got back from a huge trade show in, in Germany uh, where you were able to meet with a lot of Sompi's customers and talk about the, the new protocol and integration. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So, and I will say for the most part today, we're using it in more of a residential application, but yeah. um, Zigbee, and we're using the 3.0 uh, protocol from Zigbee. Nice. Um, it really, it really is an interoperable global uh, standard and IOT solution that's being used for connecting smart home devices and, and smart building devices. So they all have a consistent network and a consistent language. Um, we actually have been selling Zigbee products for, uh, for a number of years. For years, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, they they create a you know it's really about having an ecosystem of products that work well together. Um, so we have launched some products in the interior market in North America several years ago. We're doing a pretty significant revamp on a lot of that offer this year, and um, in in that launch is then going global. So we did get back from a trade show recently where the Zigbee offer was then shown to our colleagues in Germany and all over all over the European region. But we will be going global with this mark with this offer uh, in the coming year. One of the really great things that you guys will appreciate is uh, within the uh, the application that we're using today, which is called Tahoma. Right. Um, those people that are using the Tahoma application, we are implementing a lot of sort of pre-filled and pre-defined energy efficient scenes for homeowners to kind of really seed what they might be able to do with their new system. You know, most most homeowners are buying these products because they are making life more comfortable. Right. They want to tie into their home automation or smart home systems. So, it, you know, they're typically buying them for more comfort use cases. But we're doing a lot to really 
provide more insights into the into what they could do to eliminate to reduce or 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 eliminate some of the power consumption they're doing in their own homes. So sort of the uh, art of the possible there. Yeah, definitely. And again, it's not going to be for everyone, but um, but it makes we make it as simple as possible so they can go in and create different scenes within their home, schedule those scenes based on conditions, weather conditions or 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 time of day or time of year to really optimize their uh, their building envelope at home, you know, and still get the benefits of comfort, get the benefits of privacy and everything else that people uh, buy by shades for at home. Today, it is primarily being used in the commercial space. I'm sorry, residential, residential space. space right. um, but uh, but we do have a uh, we do have a plan to go with more commercial products over the next couple of years as well to start to bring this into small and medium sized uh, commercial office space. Oh, very That's cool. Great. That's great. So you mentioned that uh, you know Sampi is obviously we're a French owned company and we're in about sixty countries worldwide. Um, in terms of, you know, embracing this whole messaging on sustainability and interoperability. So talk to us a little bit about how North America stacks up against Europe and vice versa or other parts of the world. Like, what are you guys seeing in the marketplace? Well, I, I think for starters, North America is really not two countries. North America is really made up of 50 states and a lot of provinces. A lot of that provinces, all right all have a lot of cities and municipal uh, codes as well. So I think you can almost look at the U.S. as being a very much like Europe, where you've got a lot of differences of how things are being being used. Um, that said, I think generally the fact, and we talked about it a lot today, the fact that they, they normally will revert to exterior shading, that's going to give them a leg up in the actual consumption. Right. Um, so that's always been a benefit in the on the European side. Um, I feel like, you know, you hear a lot about the, the European markets and, and what they're doing for energy efficiency, and it's admirable what they're doing, certainly. Agreed. But I think a lot of our states are doing just every bit as good. Right. So I think um, think we've got a lot of positive things happening, and, um, you know, it's uh, I think it's more front and center in the European market than it is for our market. But we have, you know, we have a lot of states and a lot of cities that are, are, are every bit as good as what uh, what's being done in Europe. Andy, do you want to add anything? I, I, I think you probably have a different perspective from your interactions with architects and designers. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree, David. It's We've seen a lot of tremendous initiatives, right, from the government um, giving tax incentives to replacement windows, you know, exterior solar screens, you know, through the years, right? There's There's been... A lot of different task groups that have worked on, you know, window attachments and the energy efficiency of those. So I think that as we've seen time goes by, as we've seen changes in the market, uh, I, I see more and more uh, uh, interest in people willing to invest in understanding the value of investment around sustainability and in those type of products. Uh, we're seeing more city codes adopting the, you know, things like the International Green Construction Code that that play into this. And so uh, it's encouraging. I've been in this business 25 years now. And from where it was 20 years ago to now, we've seen tremendous strides right. uh, from initiatives on the street to even the well. Well, well is pretty new, but from LEED, you look at LEED 2009 to LEED right now, V4.1 and in, in the, the shift uh, towards sustainability um, and requirements has, has been exciting to see. That's great. That's great. great. Andrew, yeah. we'll give you the last question. Yeah, I mean, the question, you mentioned this before, certainly with the work with Zigbee and everything, the sort of the idea of building automation, Internet of Things, IoT, and all these systems, 
you know, coming together uh, and working in a house. I mean, what do you see as kind of the future of building automation? I mean, how far can we go with that? And, you know, how does Somfi kind of see how they fit into that? I'll, I'll go first, if you don't mind, Andy. Um, the, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think whether it's buildings or, or homes, I mean, I think we've, we've talked today about manual to motorized, motorized to automated. I think the next stage is really um, kind of the autonomous uh, home or building where it's using a, a lot of data, uh, a lot of different inputs to, to optimize the position of, of all the uh, shades and, and sun control devices in that, in that home based on what the, what the need is at that moment. Right. You know, if the need at that moment is, is, is productivity, efficiency, and, and light in certain spaces, then they should give that, the building should give that. If the need is, is efficiency because that, that area is unoccupied, then the building should give that. So I think that, I think it's just going to go further towards the, you know, further down the automation path and really use a lot more data and, and a lot more uh, sensor information to make sure that the, the buildings are really doing things without requiring human input or, um, or programming for triggers and times and other, other things. So I don't know, Andy, that's a difficult question. What do you, what do you think? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think with, we're going to see continued, continued advancement with building automation just simply because it lets us better validate the performance and the data that we're, we're reporting. Uh, it goes back to the original question. Well, how much money do you actually save? How energy efficient is that building? Well, 20 years ago, we were just throwing out numbers, right? It wasn't right. real data. And with building automation, we can actually validate those things we're trying to, that we know are true, but now we can validate it with real numbers and data. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said. You know, I know Sophie is working with the Energy Commission out in California on that exact thing, modeling uh, to include solar shading in their compliance software to get to those numbers and allow designers, specifiers to be able to take credit for that energy efficiency real time as they're designing these buildings. That's amazing. It's a, it's a complicated question, but it was a great answer. Appreciate it. So uh, can't thank you guys enough for taking the time today. We don't want to take up too much more of your time. So we'll let you continue on with your day. And thank you for your leadership at Salty. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it's been fantastic having you guys. Thank you. Thanks, All right. guys. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. So we've returned from uh, the break where we had a fantastic time uh, chatting with uh, David and Andy from Somfy. Yeah, it's really great stuff. You know, it, it, what I keep thinking about is, you know, you and I, we've both been working on sustainability issues, policy for thousands, ever. ever, forever. And, you know, there's this term greenwashing. And I think certainly at, in times in the past, you've had these sort of products that people say have a promise that they will save you energy or do great things and, and don't always uh, don't always live up to the hype. And I think what, what they're doing with, with the automated systems, with the studies they've done, with the ability in real time to really measure what they're doing, you know, this is a, these are products you're seeing that can really make a measurable difference in terms of energy efficiency and, 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 and sustainability, not to mention comfort. Right. I, I hearken back to the very first episode of Political Shadings, where we had the uh, venerable former congressman from Missouri, Russ Carnahan, in as our guest. And he was adamant about the fact that 
you know, it's the business community right. that leads and then policy follows. And and these guys are, you know, we kid about this, but they are on the cutting edge of building technology and, and sort of the future is now kind of mindset. It's fantastic to be a part of. Yeah, and also really underscores that, you know, there are a lot of ways you can save energy, some which are very costly, admittedly, some not. And this is, you know, thinking about, you know, shading. Uh, it's not something people probably think about too often in their daily lives, uh, but um, well, it, but but, uh, but it's so important, point, it's so central, right? And that's it's something right. that is really important because buildings do generate what seventy percent of electricity use in that's our country right. and a huge amount of CO two emissions. Yeah, so so anything that you can do that's going to reduce that load, uh, and certainly windows are an obvious place where you're going to either lose a lot of heat in the winter or you're going to really builds up that heat in the summer. And so it's... Yeah. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy in that you want to raise awareness about this as a, as a technology and product category. Right. But once it's installed, your awareness goes away. You forget about it. it or you don't automated. know about it. Right. 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 So if you're comfortable and you have a lower utility bill, then that's the goal. Right. Exactly. Right. And to that point, I think Russ said the same kind of thing. You know, even if you're not really into the environment or saving the world, you know what? People want lower electric bills. That's right. That's and right. Comfort. That's something people uh, will definitely people uh, pay attention to. That. Exactly. And so, we speaking of paying attention, we can't thank you enough, listeners, for for paying attention to what is I think the tenth episode of Political Shadings. It's almost a year. Good God. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I, we we again appreciate your time and attention uh, and terms of us discussing the intersection of business policy politics green building energy efficiency and oh it's me common sense oh yes, yes it's just you that's me uh, <laughs> nobody else it's not me exactly yeah. but all this to say um we again thank you for your uh listenership and we will be back next month uh with a again a self-promotion we will be back next month with the ceo of the national association of industrial and office properties, Mark Selvatelli. We'll have him in Great studio guy. for the entire podcast, mm -hmm. uh, sharing his expertise and his members' expertise on commercial real estate and commercial building development. Um, and so in the meantime, uh, enjoy your weekend and your week. And I am your host, John Lawyer. And I am your co-host, Andrew Goldberg. And we will be back in a month. So talk to you soon. <laughs>